is The Workplace Briefcase, a monthly podcast brought to you by Mappian Workplace Strategists. Mappian is the most trusted, bespoke people consultancy in the Asia-Pacific. For almost 40 years, we have provided employers with solutions on every aspect of people in the workplace. Our clients say we take the stress out of stressful situations. We help you align your people with your organization's objectives and our promise is to maximise the people impact needed to achieve your vision. My name's Troy Greed, Principal Consultant at Mappian Workplace Strategists. I'm the host of Mappian's new podcast series, The Workplace Briefcase. This podcast provides a unique insight into the complex environments of the Australian workplace and the challenges facing the human resources function. My aim is to give you exclusive insights from the people in the know when it comes to all things employment, including industrial relations and, of course, human resources. I hope you enjoy the series as much as I did putting it together. Today we're talking to the father of modern HR, and of course, that's Dave Ulrich. Dave is a rensis like a professor at the Ross School of Business, University of Michigan, as well as working as a partner at the RBL Group, a business he founded over 20 years ago. Dave has written and published over 200 articles, as well as 30 books covering all HR theories and strategies that we as HR professionals use today. Whilst editing the HR Playbook, which every HR professional is familiar with, Human Resources Management, Dave also served on the Board of Directors for Herman Miller for 16 years. The most respected mind in the HR profession, Dave has spoken across the world to HR audiences in 90 countries, whilst also facilitating workshops for over half of the Fortune 200. Dave is a distinguished fellow at the National Academy of Human Resources and has literally shaped the HR profession to the way we see it today. In this episode, episode one, the rightly named HR thought leader of the decade, joins us to discuss his unique observations on the evolution of HR to today as HR professionals rally from the impacts of COVID-19. And here in Australia... Are the traditional models of strategic HR and HR business partnering at risk of being left behind by a new wave of theories and management mavericks? We've asked Dave for his expert thoughts and insights all the way from Alpine, Utah. Welcome to the Workplace Briefcase, Episode 1, The Father of Modern HR. When we created the workplace briefcase, you know, we, we had a concept where you know, we wanted to create a podcast where it had a bit of a feel for human resources, industrial relations, uh, something a little bit edgy. We sat back and we thought, who would be at the top of our list for the first podcast? And that was Dave Ulrich. So we reached out to Dave. Dave responded, and Dave joins us today on the workplace briefcase. Thanks for joining us, Dave. Troy, I'm delighted to be here. I appreciate your reaching out. I'm on LinkedIn quite a bit, and I believe it's like a global water cooler. It's great to have ideas that show up, and it doesn't matter where they're from. They could come from anywhere in the world in any level. And if it's a good idea, it's worth discussing. So thank you for reaching out. What an honor. 
Well, speaking of LinkedIn, now I can finally put podcast host on my uh, on my title. So once we finish this, I'll, I'll jump onto that and and add that. I'm sure it'll look uh, look exceptional on there. So look, the, the situation that we're in at the moment, David, COVID, it's everywhere. You know, Australia at the moment is going through quite a difficult time. But for someone like yourself who literally travels the globe, so I think you know you've presented it almost. Well, no, ninety countries. The conferences, the workshops, you know, the networking. You certainly got around pre-COVID. So, what what happens in in a in a when the borders are shut for Dave Ulrich, your lovely wife Wendy? She's obviously seen a lot more of you around the house. Yeah, yeah, and I'm not sure she's always delighted about that, but uh, we have a good long-term relationship. You know, it's interesting. A year ago in March, so it's eighteen months ago. When COVID hit, the thinking was this would be short term. It will be over by Easter, then by summer, then by the end of the year. Now it looks like it may go through another year. I made a decision to uh, to get engaged. I have people have told me I have a face for radio, um, and uh, in other words, don't go, don't show anything. And I would never go visible if this is being shown by video. Welcome to my office. I would never do that before last year. I decided I give up. I'm having a bad hair day. I may spit. I may not be well shaven. And yet I love ideas. And so I got engaged and have been, I see the world in this chair. Welcome to my office. You see pictures, you see things that are part of my life. But I've had the privilege of being, having discussions with people from uh, this morning, from Indonesia, from Saudi Arabia, uh, now from Australia. And it's just, we literally are through technology, a global village. And I really appreciate that opportunity to learn. Excellent. And Dave, I, I, I read a recent article that you posted on LinkedIn, which I'm sure many others did as well. Uh, quite topical, obviously, around, uh, well, the title, in fact, was How HR Must Rise to Today's Opportunity. Great read uh, and, and very central to, to everything that's really happening across the world in terms of COVID and restrictions. Some of the reference data in there um, talked about uh, competencies at a HR level and a decline very recently as opposed to a slow increase up until 2020. Can, can you just talk us through why that decline? Well, and I'm not 100% sure. Uh, one of the reasons I love to collect data is they, they challenge assumptions because I think often people have an assumption. I remember collecting a beat, and I love data uh, for those who are seeing it visually, I, because I'm in my office. This is my dissertation from 1982, uh, 40 years old, and it's a numerical taxonomy. So it's a, it's a statistic study of organizations. Um, just to show you the reality we live in, and it's fun to get more personal that you can do in an office. Back then, they would sell a dissertation. So this is from a company called University Microfilms in 1984. I got paid $11.85. So I got paid $11.85 for two years of statistics. Uh, life is funny. Uh, I like data because what happens is we have an assumption based on a may, maybe a narrow lens of the world. And when we collect large databases, we're able to see trends. So we've been collecting data since 1987. We've had eight rounds of data on with over 120,000 respondents. So it's a pretty good sized data set. What are the skills that HR people need to demonstrate? And for seven rounds of data, having non-HR people rate HR people, a 360 that most people will be aware of, 
the skills in HR have gone up quite dramatically on a five-point scale, knowing the business has gone up one point, which is huge. Uh, so 3.2 to 4.2. That's a huge increase. Uh, knowing HR tools has gone up, managing change. The last round of data collected between September 2020 and, and February 2021, they dropped 10%. I got to explain it. And there's probably many explanations. One explanation is, I think the COVID crisis, coupled with the other crises, there's a technology evolution that's coming with digital 4.0. There's political, not in Australia, clearly, but in America and around the world, there's political toxicity where politicians are not being revered. And again, I joke at Australia. I don't, I don't want to mock that. There's, there's also uh, racial issues. Um, the natives, the, the Native Americans, the, the local, it just... There's so many issues that the crisis of the last 18 months is, I think, really a people and organizational crisis. 2008 and 9 was a financial crisis. It was a financial debt and equity crisis. So when it's a people and organizational crisis, the HR issues have moved to the center stage. More is expected. We've got to rise to that opportunity. The example I love, and I learned this a number of years ago, if you go to a very fancy restaurant in Melbourne, one where you'd probably see Troy eating, just a great restaurant in Melbourne, or you go to a diner, one where you might see Derek eating, just a hypothetical, <laughs> uh, who's going to get more complaints? The fancy restaurant, because the expectation is higher. If I'm paying a premium, I expect premium service and food. Well, I think when the bar has been raised on HR, we have to rise to that opportunity. I think more has been expected. And, uh, and so rising to that opportunity means HR has got to step out of its shell to, to take the risk, to be a little, a little pushy, a little aggressive, uh, and to build on what we've done, but to create a better future. So I was a little surprised at the data. If you or others have better explanations, you can't deny the data. We got data from 29,000 people. You can't say, well, in fact, we did a study. It's kind of funny. One of our colleagues, we did a, one of the previous rounds, we had data from 20,000 people and I was showing it, telling it to him on the phone call. I was somewhere in the world and he said, well, I've seen the data, but let me tell you what I believe. And I interrupted him. I said, you know, I, I really don't care what you believe right now because we've got data from 20,000 people. Your belief is critical. I do care, but don't discount the data. And the data says HR skill sets have been seen in a small decline over the last six months. I'd love to know. If you yeah. have a different explanation, I'd love to hear it. Well, it's, look, it's an interesting one. And, and so, well, for anyone that was wondering who's Derek eating at the diner, he's our uh, exceptional producer that's, uh, that's sitting in the background. Um, Look, it's it's a, it's a strange one, Dave. That was the one thing that stood out to me. I, I you know I read through multiple articles recently that you've posted, and that was the one thing that stood out at me, particularly, you know, the data that sat behind, um, you know, the, the table itself. How, how did we end up here? And you know, you sit back and you think, well, is it because we're working from home? You know, with different levels of um, expertise are now required. It's it's not as you know, it's a soft touch. And look, it's. You know, it sort of leads me into the next question because, you know, because we are working from home a lot more regularly, um, you know, uh, where does that leave us in terms of losing touch with the business, you know, from a business partnering sense, um, but even even from a cultural point of view, because there's, you know, there's a fear certainly from from mine um, and potentially with other HR professionals 
that that HR business partnering, I guess, or or HR as a as a profession could you know get left behind. Do you sort of see that or? Well, uh, obviously, there are places where HR partner is ahead and behind. It's all over. Um, but working from home, I, one of the things I love is to try to put things in context, partly because I'm old. But this isn't the first time we've worked from home. Um, I, I've worked from home. A lot of people have worked from home. We know how to do that. What, what it means is we've got to find ways to build relationships through technology. You and I could not have had this call a year and a half ago. I mean, uh, whatever methodology we use, Zoom, Microsoft Teams, Zencaster, we probably wouldn't have had the call. I think working from home creates a whole different set of tensions about work-life balance, about connecting with each other, but it also provides some really unique opportunities. Uh, for example, you get to glance into my office. You get to see where I live and work. If I were in Melbourne today or in Sydney, and I wish I could be, I love Australia. It's one of our favorite places ever. We had, I think, one of our top five ever vacations at Port Douglas when we, uh, when we got to visit up at the Great Barrier Reef. And uh, I think anybody would say that who's ever been there. But I'm on stage. And that sounds like it's in person, but in some ways it's more sterile because now you, you get to see things differently. The difference is the boundary of work has changed. I think the boundary of work once was a space. I get up in the morning, I go to my office, I work at my office, and I go home. And work is a space, it's a place. Today, I can work from anywhere. A coffee shop, my office, I'm not sure where you are right now, if you're in, a, in an office or at home. I'm actually in my, in my spare bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I had, a, I had a call with an executive I was coaching. <laughs> And I asked her, where are you? And she and there was a bar behind her head. And she said, I'm in my laundry room. It's the only place that's quiet in my house. <laughs> and, you know, we don't worry about the spare bedroom. What we worry about, and this is for me what's fascinating. I think the boundary of work is not a place. I think it's a set of values. And those values can permeate space. And the value I'm driven by is what did you do today as an employee that today or in the future will create value for a customer. Let me say that again. The old boundary of work was a place, physical, my office, the, the physical setting. The new boundary is the extent to which I created value for a customer. You're in a spare bedroom. I'm in an office. I hope by our dialogue, we are going to create value for your listeners. And if we did, we were at work. So for an HR person or a business leader, the question for the employee is, what did you do today that created value for a customer today or tomorrow? And if the answer is, eh, I can't think of anything, we need to work on that. Because this isn't about where you work. It's about what work you're doing that will help us be successful in our marketplace. That's where I hope HR begins to think and get. And, th and that was one of the things that I picked up from the article, Dave, was around the uh, more quality, less less uh, quantity. Um, you know, and it's been around forever. But the quality of work now is so much more important. I, I have this fear, and I, I've never been an advocate, let's say, um, of outsourcing HR. Um, you know, I've, I've worked with organisations, and, and certainly uh, from a consulting point of view, uh, have you know come across businesses that outsource their HR. I still haven't come across anyone that's done it successfully. But, you know, I fear that in the current climate that there's a case much stronger now to push for businesses to, to outsource. And it, 
Yeah, it gives me the willies because I just haven't really seen it done successfully. Do you have any thoughts on on outsourcing? Oh, I do. I mean, we uh, one of the things I'm addicted. I have a disease. Somebody told me I have the disease of I'm addicted to writing, and I tend to like to write and post things. But uh, we did some work on outsourcing. I think if your work you're doing is transactional, routine, standard, I think we're going to see artificial intelligence and technology begin to take it over. And and you've already seen it, payroll, benefits, administrative processes. But when your work changes the fundamental direction of your company and allows you to succeed in the marketplace, you don't want to outsource that. You want to insource it. You want to protect it. You want to put boundaries around it to make sure that it's good. So I think um, I think some of the trends in artificial intelligence and technology will take away, some, and it's already happened, some of the administrative burdens of HR. But I don't think they'll take away the more strategic role. Um, and 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 when HR HR has been at the business table for 25 years, it's not. A, some people are saying HR should be at the table. We should be part of the business. That's been going on for decades. Um, the question is, what do you bring to that dialogue? And if what you bring to the dialogue is, here's our new process for benefits processing, the executives are going to go. Um, that's not really going to help us succeed in the marketplace. What you want to bring to that dialogue or a set of ideas that will have impact, that will help us succeed in the marketplace, to better serve our customers, to better meet our investor expectations, to, to, be, a, to be a positive force in our community. And when we in HR can bring that knowledge to the business discussion, that's where our success will probably come from. Now, for those that know me, they know how much I love HR tech, and I, I agree with you, it's absolutely got its place. And uh, selfishly, a little bit of a plug. I've got agreement, um, and it's all about streamlining, you know, the, the tools that we've got with technology to, to to make our lives easier. And I agree, the strategic piece it's got to be there. So, but what what I have found more recently. So, for those who don't know, what does agreement do? I'm going to uh, give so, you a chance to let us know. Yeah, sure. So, agreement's a a software tool that we created to help companies in Australia navigate the complexities. Uh, of the Fair Work Act. That was a nice little plug. appreciate that. But, but what I want to see more HR people do is, is get involved in technology at a broader business level, particularly when you know, we're implementing a, a CRM or an ERP, but making sure that our employees are, are ready and in the, in the, in the software that we're bringing in is fit for purpose. And I, I just see HR, to your term, at the table uh, you know, for those types of projects, because this is so important, and I feel sometimes that HR are, are getting left out of the mix when it comes to that to well, those I, pieces of work. I feel like we have seen two hands in technology. On the one hand, technology, by the way, are a set of tools that create a digital revolution. I, I love simplicity. My dissertation is on taxonomy; it's on simplicity. So, technology is a whole bunch of tools: AI, artificial intelligence, cloud computing that gives you information. One hand is it lets the business strategy be different. Because I have information, a firm like Amazon, a firm like Google, almost any firm can use that information to target their customers, to do a better job at at their marketplace. In that world, HR becomes a facilitator of that agenda. How do we facilitate? We know how to set goals. We've always set goals. We know how to do assessments. We know how to put teams together. We know how to make plans. We know how to make plans happen. We become the enabler of the digital business strategy. And I think HR can enable any strategy, but we become an enabler of digital. In the HR space, 
we've seen four waves of HR technology. Wave number one is efficiency. Let's put something online that used to be paper. I was talking to someone today in an emerging market. We're still doing paper. Let's put it online. And by the way, there's big firms that do that. In addition to your firm, you've got Oracle, you've got SAP, you've got Workday. The second is let's build innovation into technology. Josh Burson is the genius in this space. A year ago, he said, Dave, there's 2,000 new HR apps in the last few years. Everybody's innovating in HR. You're one, we're one. We've all got the latest HR innovation. And by the way, some of them are really good as as, um, agreement probably is, and some of them are kind of silly. The silly one I saw once, they asked me to monitor it (laughs) or to support it. They said, we'll take a picture of your face and decide what kind of leader you are by your facial (laughs) form. And I said, am I the before picture? Because <laughs> I don't have, anyway. But you've got efficiency, you've got, inf- uh, you've got innovation. The third stage of HR technology within HR is information. We need information in HR to make better decisions. The fourth phase is the one I get excited about. We need to find a- ways to use HR to build connection and experience. And I think in this new hybrid work world, you and I have not met. I feel like we're connecting. By the way, our connection is making fun of your producer, Derek. So we have found a mechanism whereby we can connect. I say that in jest, but, um, and, and if, if you get generous, you'll live us a little panorama of your spare bedroom. You know, we're connecting. I'm letting you see my office. I'm letting you see my hands moving. I, I hold tape because I get nervous. We're connecting through technology. I think in HR, we've got to get better. We do have to do efficiency. HR should be efficient through technology. We do have to be innovative in all of the HR services. We need information, but I hope we can build connection and experience through technology Mm, in the HR field. The innovation is an interesting piece here in Australia. About a year or so ago, there was a a bit of a fad around um, removing the formal process of uh, the performance reviews. Uh, Managers say, we don't need to do it. We have conversations. We don't need this paper-based or technology-based um, process that we have to do. We have conversations. Okay, we'll, we'll we'll take your word for that. We'll we'll let you go. Off you go. Have the conversations. And what do you think happened? The conversations never happened at all. So then, twelve months later, they're back doing a formal process again. And, and I do think at times that this, you know, that we're not looking at it deep enough from a from an innovation point of view around well, you know, where where can we really impact our people and. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's some interesting ideas, certainly I've seen, um, but, but your views, yeah, very interesting. Um, we, so I would say about two months ago, Dave, um, I stumbled across um, some work that you'd done around business partnering and there was some commentary running alongside uh, an article amongst others um, where some of your some of your work and, and some of your more traditional theories uh, were challenged in a in a LinkedIn public setting. Now, the, some of the the um, some of the arguments against some of your theories, from what I can understand, uh, were not research backed. There was no data behind it, and certainly uh, no academic research behind it at all. And I fear that there's a, a bit of a wave of these. Uh, I call them management mavericks or, or HR mavericks that are using LinkedIn as a platform to to push out these these theories around changing the way HR operates without any data or research. Thoughts on that? 
Well, I, I was a part of that discussion. I've been a part of that. By the way, it comes up more than once. It's come up today in another setting. One of the strangest things, and I love your counsel. I don't know how to deal with it. I'm going to tell a story. In the 1990s, I, I reviewed academic articles. And in the academic world, they do what's called a double-blind review. I don't know the author, and the author doesn't know the reviewer. By the way, I've been an editor of a journal. So I, I get an article. I take all the author identifying off. I send it to a reviewer, the reviewer, and they don't know each other. I got an article. This was in the mid-90s. And I called the editor and I said, I'm stuck. And the editor said, why? And I said, I read the article. It's incredible about being a business partner. That was the agenda. But it's all my stuff. And I've never cited once. So I don't know whether to accept the article because I thought it's pretty good or to reject it because of other issues. By the way, I don't know what happened. Almost every time I see people going after some of the ideas, and this is, by the way, I want to learn. Somebody today pushed me on systems theory. We've just set up a phone call that happens to be somebody from Australia. If you have something to teach me, teach me. But the discussion I think you're referring to, the person said, the business partner model is terrible. And I'm going, wow, I want to learn what's wrong. And then the answer was HR should be part of the business. And I'm going, uh, that is the business partner model. <laughs> I mean, we've written seven books on how to do that. And, and so that's the part that is just kind of strange to me. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I really love to learn. And I think sometimes, and I've really struggled with that. I probably spent 30 hours thinking, what's going on here? And I think sometimes there are folks in our field, and, and you know your field better than me, the recruitment field, the utilities field, they may not understand some of the history as well. So with good intention, they're revisiting some of that past rather than moving us forward. I mean, the, the comment, HR should be at the table of the business. We debated that in the 90s. And, and, and we got to the table in most companies, not all. And so that's the issue that I struggle with. Other people say, Dave, your model missed this. My answer is HR is a great choir of great voices, great voices. We need a choir. We need diversity. We don't want to sing out of the same hymnal, but we don't want to sing the song that we sang 20 years ago. Let's keep ourselves moving forward. Um, and, and, and I feel so passionate about that, but I do get frustrated. I'm not going to deny it. I, when somebody says, HR, uh, your model is terrible. HR, and then there, and then that happened today again. Somebody said, I really don't like Dave Ulrich's model. We should form squads and business teams to organize shared services to go serve the business. And I go, I wrote that in 97. Um, and, and whether it's been implemented or not is another issue, but move me forward. And that's the issue that I, that I struggle with. I, I, I don't disagree with the ideas there. You know, it's like, <laughs> I don't know what happened to that paper. I'm assuming that it didn't get published, but, uh, yeah, let's move us forward. So that's that's the issue that I think we sometimes wrestle with. So the, the thing that frustrates me, and this might be a little bit trivial, is all these new names, uh, quite imaginative, for HR. I'm a bit of a traditionalist. Uh, I, I see all these different types of titles kicking around, people experience or, or PX or you know, people and culture that's becoming a little bit more traditional. I'd much prefer human resources myself. But what? Well, 
what is it with you know i i'm at the point where i don't i don't re- i mean you talk about your history being in industrial relations i mean yeah. you you've just dated yourself you're ancient i mean you may be young in heart but you're ancient in mind no i mean i i tend to not get hung up on names what i do get hung up on are ideas and let me tell you two frames that we've done for ideas one hr is not about hr it's about helping a company succeed in the marketplace that first assumption is so critical because when we do HR work, we do it so that our customers, our investors, our communities, government regulators in the marketplace, we help our companies succeed. And the logic is if we don't succeed in the marketplace, there is no workplace. And so a lot of HR people are really dedicated to the human element. People are the business. No, there is no business unless there's a customer. I mean, you've got to serve the customer. You've got to meet their needs. You've got to make some degree of investor success. Now, you can you can go too far there, but without that marketplace, there is no workplace. So that's that's for me an underlying assumption that HR is not about what we do. It's about what others get because of what we do. The second assumption that drives us, what is it we in HR bring to that mythical business table? We've been part of the business for 25 years. I believe there's three things. Number one is talent. If you're watching, I should make uh, Troy do this, but I'm not going to make you do it. (laughs) My fingers represent the people. That's the talent. We got great people. (laughs) Everything to do with human capital, people, workforce, employee. My fist represents the organization. People come together and form a team. My hand and fist together represents leadership. That's it. I and HR come to the business discussion to create value in the marketplace by great people. What can I do to make sure that my human capital, my people, whatever you want to call it, are good? What can I do to build a great team, a great culture, a great organization, and to provide leadership? And then the fourth piece, my forearms represent the HR systems because they're the support that bring that together. So in my simplistic world, two points. Number one, HR is not about HR. It's what we do to help succeed in the marketplace. Number two, through talent. Are we the employer of choice of employees our customers would choose? Does our performance appraisal, the system you talk about, about performance appraisal, we've got to hold people accountable. <laughs> I've tried to lose weight without weighing. You know, it. look at me, it doesn't work very well. <laughs> You've got to have some degree of accountability. Here's the issue. If you took your performance standards, however you come up with them, behaviors, outcomes, long-term, short-term, individual team, to your best customers, and said, this is what we're holding our people accountable for, would it cause you to buy our product more? Wow. In other words, does our people system lead to customer value? Does our organizational culture lead to customer value? Culture is not the underlying values of the company. It's the values of the company that will create value for a customer. Do our leaders demonstrate the knowledge and skills that will help customers and investors have a better experience? We talk about leadership brand. To me, that's the lens through which HR, the future, is viewed. Number one, HR is not about HR. It's creating value in the marketplace outside and inside. And number two, through talent, my fingers. (laughs) By the way, people may not remember me, but they're going to remember this Stupid, stupid (laughs) 
hand puppet. <laughs> you look at your fingers, that's the people. You look at your fists, that's the organization. Leadership combines them. And then the forearms represents all those HR systems that make it happen. For us, that's HR mm. in probably 90 seconds. Yeah. Well, that's a, a great synopsis right there. And speaking of behaviors, you know, <laughs> If, if my wife, Charlotte, didn't pull me up for all the things that I've been doing at home, uh, half the Ikea equipment that I've been putting together for our five-month-old to be upside down, inside out, I, I need to be pulled into line. There's no question about that. Actually, interestingly, Roy's been very good. I haven't heard him. I did have a quiet word to him last night to let him know that I was talking to him to be on his best behavior. He said he could um, he'd try and help out. So I haven't heard anything well, yet, what, which has been what, good. What we were hoping is he would participate. By the way, he's the next generation. I don't know they have Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z. I don't know what he is, Z Prime, um, <laughs> and we'd love to hear from your uh, five-month-old son. So, uh, well, well, his no, mother's I mean, a dentist. Uh, his mother's a dentist, his mother's so a, what? a dentist. So I'm pretty oh. sure that uh, she'll be um, keeping eye on him to make sure it's uh, something along those lines. But, but interestingly, I was out walking him this morning at about five a.m. and I listened to a couple of American-based HR podcasts, and the, and the two that I listened to, there was two. Um, two themes that are, that literally started within the first five minutes in the talking and they were talking in the current tense um, about post covid they were they were talking as if they're out of covid which I, it stopped me in my tracks it's light at the end of the tunnel for us we you know we're going to be in lockdown for a little while yet but as Australian HR professionals Dave where to from here from what you've yeah. seen where do we go from here I uh, I always find it fascinating when somebody says let me tell you the new normal because I then say, you must be rich. Why? Because in January of 2020, you bought Google, Zoom, Amazon, and Intel stock. Because you knew the new normal. You don't know the new normal. I don't know the new normal. I think there are some things we're going to learn to live with. And let me just highlight a couple. One is to harness uncertainty. When you don't know the new normal, you don't have an answer. When somebody says, we're coming out of COVID, we're going into COVID, we're going into lockdown... 48 hours ago, could you have predicted the Australian lockdown? Is it going to end by uh, September? Fall? Is it going to end by September? Is it going to end by Christmas? We don't know. So the issue is, how do I manage in a world of high uncertainty? And my answer is not to manage uncertainty, it's to harness it. Because uncertainty can create opportunity. In organizations where there's high variance is where you're likely to be successful. If there's no more variance, you're going to have no variance, but you're not going to be differentiated. I think our job as HR people is to harness that uncertainty, tame the apprehensions, anticipate the future, experiment, take risks we've never been able to take before. Surround yourself with people who have fresh ideas. Fail fast. Harness the uncertainty. The second piece I see that I think is coming, and again, it's not a new normal. I don't know exactly what it means is I like the word personalization. Personalization has two pieces. One is care about the person. If anything, this crisis has been more about people than ever. When people return to work at the office, they're not returning to work. We've been working at home. I think we've got to pay attention to the emotion, the energy. I see almost all of us, myself included, probably not you. Well, you have a five-month-old baby. I don't know what's causing what. But, but I think many of us are emotionally stretched. And I think the leader's job is to be the, the emotional caregiver. And I think HR's job is to care, to say, we care about you as a person. 
What's going on in your life? How are you? How are things? By the way, I, I've had some people tell me, I'm offended that HR is the caregiver. And I didn't respond strongly enough. I'm offended that you're offended. Uh, my mother is 93. I'm her caregiver. And I'm damn proud to be so. And I think HR people are the emotional front line in companies with our business leaders. But I think we should be modeling care in, in a real way. The other side of personalization is incredible flexibility. You're working in a spare bedroom. I'm working in my office. Somebody else is working in a studio. Somebody's in an airplane. Derek's at the Donna. By the way, who's the smartest of the three of us? <laughs> Derek's at a diner. We're sitting elsewhere. That doesn't take a lot. But uh, I don't know where you're going to work. We're going to personalize work. It's going to be very different for each person. Uh, my wife and I are obviously older. We live in a fairly nice home. We're older. Uh, you're in, you can peek into my office. Ooh, I don't do this very often. Oh, I don't know if I dare. That's my office. It's a fun office. And, uh, and yet our kids who are more your age with young kids, they're living in smaller apartments. The work setting is affecting them very differently. I think we're going to see this kind of shift of personalization and harnessing uncertainty, two of the themes that I think we'll see more of. I think HR has the rare privilege everywhere in Australia, in Latin America, in Asia, in, in Europe, and in North America to rise to the opportunity. I think our challenges are higher than we've ever seen them, but I think our opportunities are even higher. I hope those of us in the HR community will continue to believe that the best is yet ahead, that what we see in the future will help HR move forward. I don't want to revisit old news. I want to create the next generation and the new news. And again, it's around those two principles. HR is not about HR. It's creating value for stakeholders through talent, my fingers, organization, my fist, and leadership. And when we can manage those things, we become incredibly valued to our organization. And that's the hope that, that we see in the HR agenda going forward. And if this podcast helps make that message happen, it's phenomenal. And, and you know what? We look at technical glitches. We look at a bad hair day. We look at technology. And we look beyond the temporary glitches. And we go on. And we create that future. The best is yet ahead. And I'm excited to join great HR people in that choir of diverse voices that will help us make that happen. And I wish you well, Troy and, and Derek, in this agenda. Dave, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. Like I said, this is our this is the first episode of the the workplace briefcase of a series of hopefully you know ten and on to twenty shows. I hope these podcasts continue to stimulate and challenge and give us a sense of what we can become. Dave, thanks for joining us. 